Acts chapter 4 is where we're going to have a little look tonight. Just want to read one verse. Philippians 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I say, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I say, rejoice. Let me begin by reminding you that this letter of Paul's to the church at Philippi is both a prison epistle written from Rome and a praise epistle. This was written some 10 years after he himself had founded the church at Philippi. But now he's in jail. Uh, He's awaiting uh, his execution. It's towards the end of his days. And he writes uh, a number of letters, but particularly to this church. And he is encouraging them to rejoice. Above all, this is an exhortation of joy. Words like joy, rejoice, Gladness is mentioned some 19 times in this short letter. Now, Paul had no reason in the natural to rejoice. He was in prison. But in spite of his dire circumstances, he writes to believers urging them to rejoice and to be glad and to have joy in the Lord. Just as he was doing in the midst of his difficulties within his imprisonment. Uh, remembering, of course, as I said a moment ago, that this church that he's writing to in Acts 16, that's where he founded it. And in Acts 16, you remember how that he was, uh, Paul and Silas, how they cast the spirit out of that young woman, the spirit of divination. And because of that, they were brought before the magistrates and they were severely beaten with rods. Many stripes were laid upon them. And so they're in jail, the dark, dank, stinking dungeon with the blood running down their backs with their backs open with big welts of the rods that had beat them so severely. And yet in the midst of that and feeling like that and having been treated so poorly at midnight, at the worst time, at the darkest hour, what did they do? They prayed and they sang praises and they sung the Psalms, and that the Bible says that all of the prisoners heard them, but not only that, but God heard them and gave them a wonderful deliverance. And out of that, of course, we know that the jailer himself and his whole family uh, were brought to Christ. They were brought to saving faith in Christ because of that circumstances. Because they chose to rejoice by choice. They had a choice. They could have sat there bemoaning their lot in life, saying how terrible they were treated, and they were terribly treated. But instead of that, they rejoiced by choice. In fact, they counted it an honor and a privilege to be beaten and imprisoned for Christ. And that was probably one of the motivations to rejoice in the Lord. And so he's writing to this church encouraging them in their difficulties and hardships to rejoice in the Lord. So he rejoiced in the Philippian jail. He rejoiced in the Roman prison also. 
In Acts 27, in the midst of the great storm that threatened his life and the life of everybody on board, he took time to fast and to pray to seek the Lord and to rejoice in the Lord by choice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Turn with me to Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, chapter 6. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps, or governors, if you want to call it that, to be over the whole kingdom. And over these, three governors of whom Daniel was one, that the satraps might give account to them, so that the king would suffer no loss. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king gave thought to setting him above or over all the whole realm. And so the governors and the satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom. But they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful. Nor was there any error or fault found in him. Then these men said, We shall find, not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. So these governors and satraps thronged throng before the king and said thus to him, King Darius, live forever. All the governors of the kingdom, the administrators, the satraps, the counselors and advisors have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree, decree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. Therefore, King Darius signed the written decree. Obviously, Daniel had no part in that, so they lied. Uh, he would not be party to anything like that at all, of course. And now that the decree has been signed, verse 10, now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home and in his upper room with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as was his custom since the early days. Daniel had a choice and it was serious. His very life was at stake. And it looked like the whole kingdom was against him. Certainly all of those that were under him were against him. And they envied his position and they hated him. And so the writing was signed and he knew that the law could not be changed. It was the law of the Medes and the Persians. could not be altered. And so he had a choice. He could have chosen to take the easy route, couldn't he? He could have said, well, it's only for 30 days. Why cause a whole ruckus? Why, why just not skip church for 30 days? Why not just stop this prayer business just for 30 days till everybody cools off, till it's forgotten about? After all, I'm here as a prisoner, really. I'm a captive, really. 
Why give myself all of the hassle and all of the stress and all of the bother? Just go into the shadows, do nothing for 30 days. After it's over, then come back out again. He had a choice. But he rejoiced by choice. He prayed by choice. He decided he would honor God by choice. He would be faithful by choice. You and I have choices every single day that we live. And we're always going to have choices. And when it comes to our spiritual lives, we will definitely have great choices to make. Will we take the easy way, the way of least resistance, the way of less stress, the way of possible less persecution, or will we rejoice by choice? Will we serve by choice? Will we say, Lord, I'm going to be faithful no matter what it costs? Well, that's what Daniel did. And I don't need to labor that story because you know what happened. He went into the lion's den and God gave him a great and wonderful victory. And he came out of that den and the king more admired him than before he went into the den. Even though the king did admire him and appreciate him and respect him and esteem him highly. But now he really does because he sees that his God is the true God. Habakkuk or Habakkuk if you want to call him that. In chapter 3 of his little book which is very familiar, this portion. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice. See, it's a choice, isn't it? I will, an act of his will, I will rejoice in the Lord I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet. He will make me to walk on my high hills. Even though things were bad, the outlook was bleak, the prognosis was terrible, but he said, in spite of all of that, I will rejoice in the Lord. I have made up my mind. It's an act of my will. It's my choice, and I choose to worship the living God. Amen. In Acts chapter 5, we see here the apostles in trouble for preaching. Verse 17, then the high priest rose up and all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation and laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. But at night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go, stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning and taught but the high priest and those with him came and called the council together and all the elders of the children of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came and did not find them in the prison, they returned and reported, saying, Now, 
Listen to what they said. I mean, this is, how do you explain this? I mean, this is just supernatural. Listen to it. Indeed, we have found the prison shut securely and the guards standing outside before the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. How did that happen? You know, we read that over quickly, but stop and think, how did that happen? How could that happen? How could the angel get them out of there and the doors are still locked the officer still guarding the doors. When he opened it, they're gone. God supernaturally got them out of that prison. Now when the high priest and the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these things, they wondered what the outcome would be. I bet you did. So one came and told them, saying, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain went out with the officers and brought them uh, brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should be stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest asked, saying, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, and intend to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. And when they heard this, they were furious and plotted to kill them. And one on the council stood up, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, teacher of the law, held in respect by all the people and commanded them to put the apostles outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what you intend to do regarding these men. For some time ago, Theodos rose up claiming to be somebody. A number of men, about 400, joined him. But he was slain and all those who obeyed him were scattered and came to nothing. And after this man, Judas of Galilee rose up in the days of the census and drew many away after him. He also perished, and all who obeyed him were dispersed. And now I say to you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this work is of men, it will come to nothing. But if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest you even be found to fight against God. And they agreed with him. And when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Glory to God. <laughs> Rejoice by choice. We ought to obey God rather than man. It's good to obey men that are in government. Apostle Paul says that we should pray for those in government. And we should obey them and pay our taxes and all the rest that we talked about. But when it comes to spiritual things, when it comes to paint us and God, when it comes to trying to deny us our relationship with God, then we ought to obey God rather than men. That's exactly what they did. That was their choice. They could have saved themselves in prison, they could have saved themselves in beatings, but they chose to obey and to rejoice by choice. 
and Psalm 9. Verse 1, I will praise you, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will tell of all your marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. And then in chapter 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and hear me, O Lord my God, and lighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say I have prevailed against him, lest those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved. But I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. He's in a tight spot. Things is going against him. The earth looks bad in the natural. And he bemoans that. He's frank about it. He doesn't hide it. He tells us. But he says, and so many times you'll see this in the Psalms. You'll see the psalmist coming to a point where after he has made his complaint, then he changes. And he realizes. And what he says is, but I have trusted in your mercy. So my heart will rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Just across the page in chapter 16. Verse 7. I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh, flesh shall also rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol. Nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. Jesus actually used those words himself. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. And then finally, Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came up against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army man camp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise up against me, in this I will be confident. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies around me. Therefore I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing. Yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. There are some things in our spiritual lives that we just have to choose to do. It comes right down to a choice. Yes or no. 
Will I do it? Will I not do it? Will I obey? Will I disobey? It comes down to a choice. And so we have to choose and make the right choice. Come to the decision. And as the Nike ad says, just do it. In Deuteronomy 30.19, this is what it says. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life, that both you and your descendants may live. Isn't it incredible that God's people have to be encouraged to choose life Instead of death. Isn't that amazing? That God has to exhort us to make the right choice. You'd think if you had a choice between life and death, between blessing and curse, it's an easy choice to make, you would think. And yet Joshua is laying it right on the line. He said, You must make a choice. I'm encouraging you to choose life. I'm encouraging you to choose blessing. It's up to you. It's your choice. But I'm encouraging you to do the right thing. And sometimes God has to come to us as believers. Sometimes long time believers. And encourage us to do the right thing. To make the right choice. Therefore choose life, he says. That both you and your descendants may live. You see, our choices don't just affect us. They affect those around us. Probably far more than we realize, actually. When we make a choice for the Lord, one thing you can be sure of, it's going to impact somebody else's life apart from yours. It may be a close family member. It may be your next-door neighbor. It may be somebody you work with. It may be... Somebody in that extended family of yours far out, a second cousin, it's going to affect somebody somewhere, not just you. You remember we talked a little while ago about the Philippian jailer? Come with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. First Corinthians chapter 1. In verse 14, you know, people in the Corinthian church, you know, they're, one was, was, they all had their favorite preachers. One says, I'm a Paul. One says, I'm a Paulus. One says, I'm a somebody else. Of Peter, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, he says? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Then he says, verse 14, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius lest anyone should say that I had baptized in my own name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Ah. 1 Corinthians 16, right at the end of the book. Look at verse 15. I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanus 
That is the first fruits of Acacia. Mm, the first fruits of Acacia. The Philippian jailer. That is the first fruits of Acacia that they have devoted themselves to the ministry of the saints. And that you submit to such and to everyone who works and labors with us. I am glad about the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus, so forth. So here is the household of Stephanus. <coughs> the Philippian jailer in Acts 16, when he came to Christ in salvation, what was the first thing that happened to him? He got baptized and his household. So here's this same man. We believe this is the same man, the same family. The only other family apart from who he said there in 1 Corinthians 1, the only other family I can think of was Lydia and her household that he baptized. And he didn't even mention them in 1 Corinthians 1. But here's this family. And now, not only are they a, a part of the church, but they're a vital part of it. There's somebody that the Apostle Paul can commend and recommend and says, listen to them. Do what they ask you to do. I mean, these people had grown in Christ. Here was the jailer and his family, but look at them now. They're part of the church. Even Paul's commending them. How did all that happen? Because Paul and Silas rejoiced by choice. They made a decision at the midnight hour at the darkest moment of their lives, that they would rejoice in the Lord. And that man and his wee family came to Christ and became a vital part of the body of Christ from then on out. You never know who you may affect. Joshua chapter 23, you don't need to turn to it, verses 14 and 15. Joshua, he knows that his time is up. He's going to die. And so he gives one last charge to the people. And he said, you've got a choice. You can read it in Joshua 23. He says, you've got a choice. You can worship the gods that you left in Egypt. Or you can worship the gods of the Amorites. Or you can worship the true and living God. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We have made up our mind. Now you make up your mind. Can't serve God and mom, I'm sure you can't. This is what the rich young ruler found out. We'll talk about him in a second. Sometimes you just have to make the choice. You've got to make the right choice. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And they said, we will serve the Lord also. He says, but what about your gods? He said, we'll not worship those gods anymore. We'll serve the Lord too. And that's what he wanted to hear. The rich young ruler came to Jesus. Well, let's have a look at the rich young ruler. In Matthew chapter 19, just quickly. Verse 16, Now behold, one came to him and said, Good teacher, 
What good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear witness, false witness, honor your father, your mother, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these things I have kept from my youth, which is a bold statement to make. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you want to be perfect, go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Come right down to the choice, didn't it? The other gospel says that Jesus loved this young man. He was a ruler, even though he was young. So he must have been a very talented, gifted young man. Must have had a great ability to organize and to plan and to lead. He must have had quite a character about him and quite a charisma about him, if I can use that word. And he seems to be serious enough when he's coming to Jesus. But Jesus got right down to it, didn't he? The one thing that he lacked, he'd fallen in love with his wealth and his riches. And it come right down to the choice between God and mammon and riches. He chose the riches, didn't he? And he was very sorrowful when he heard that. He thought he could have it all, but he couldn't. And Jesus faced him with the choice. Came to the crossroads in his life. How many people... I wonder has come to that crossroads in her life or it's God's way or my way. And they choose their way. What might have been for this young man? 1954, Hollywood made a movie what was the biggest movie of its day at that time. Some of you oldies and wrinklies like me might remember it. These young ones, it was before they were ever born. It was called On the Waterfront. On the Waterfront. Marlon Brando was the main actor. It got 12 Academy Award nominations. It won eight of them. Best Director, Best Film, Marlon Brando Best Actor, Best Supporting Actress, Best Score, for eight awards it got. And here's what it was about. It was about the time, and it was built, it really was built on, 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 a, on a true, the truth of what was happening in those days. Uh, there she's gone to do a, a little youth meeting up in Botir. There she goes. Bye-bye. Enjoy yourself. Have a good night. Good. Bless them. And uh, it was about the struggle between the unions in the docks on the waterfront and the, the stevedores, the dock workers, and how that the mob, the mafia, controlled the unions, and did for years and years. And they controlled the unions. And, uh, of course, that uh, whoever controlled the docks controlled the commerce coming out and into the docks, and, the, you know, the mafia made a fortune out of that. 
And so the movie was based on that. And the head of the union was a man called Lee J. Cobb. And in the movie, he was called Johnny Friendly. Sorry, Johnny. Johnny Friendly. And he was a rascal. And his right-hand man uh, was called Charlie Malloy. And Charlie the Gent Malloy. And his brother was Terry Malloy, uh, Marlon Brando acted the brother's part. And Terry Malloy was an up-and-coming, aspiring young boxer. And he was a stevedore, he worked at the docks. But he was up-and-coming, there was potential with him. And so a fight had been arranged, he was to fight in this fight. But Johnny Friendly, gangster that he was, got Terry's brother who worked for him, who was his best friend, he got him to talk Terry into throwing the fight and losing it because Johnny Friendly was going to bet big on it that he would lose, and lose he did, and Johnny Friendly made a fortune. Now, after he threw the fight, he realized, and he was terribly sorry because his life began a downward spiral from that point on. He was really sorry he'd done that because nothing worked since then. He felt that he had cheated, that... His potential was gone. And there's an iconic moment in the movie. In fact, you'll see it in some clips that's shown even today. I saw it last week, in fact. There's an iconic moment in that movie where he says to his brother, thinking about what he has lost since he, since he chose wrongly, he said, I could have been somebody. I could have been a contender. Did you see that wee, part, that wee clip in the movie? It's been shown at the minute. I could have been somebody. I could have been a contender. And whenever I hear that, I think of this rich young ruler. What could he have been if he had followed Christ? He could have been a contender. He could have been a contender for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. He could have become a great man of God. He could have been a man that, like Paul would go out and do missionary journeys all over Europe. He could have been a man that could have raised up a great church for Christ. But he did none of that. He made the wrong choice and he walked down the wrong path and he's never heard of again. He's gone. Never to return. There comes a time, there comes a point whenever you have to make a choice you have to do the right thing. You never know who will be affected by your choices. The Jukes family, J-U-K-E-S, says there's been a careful search into the history of one criminal family known as the Jukes. This was many years ago in America. And it is conspicuous as a long record of pauperism and imbecility and insanity and prostitution and drunkenness. A total of 1,200 descendants have been traced of this prolific family tree. And of that, some 400 of these were physically self-racked. 310 were professional paupers. 130 convicted criminals. 60 habitual thieves and pickpockets. 7 murderers. And while out of the whole 1,200, only 20 ever learned to trade, and of that, half of them learned it when they were in prison. 
Somewhere down along the line, that family, somebody made a wrong choice. And they affected a lot of people. Thankfully, that works the other way too. Jonathan Edwards was a son of a godly home. His father was a preacher, and before him, his mother's father. Trace the history of the offspring of this godly man. More than 400 of them have been traced. They include 14 college presidents and 100 professors. 100 of them have been ministers of the gospel, missionaries, theological teachers. More than 100 of them were lawyers and judges. And out of the whole number, 60 have been doctors and as many more authors of high rank or editors of journals. In fact, almost every conspicuous American industry has had its promoters one or more of the offspring of Edward Stock since a remote ancestor was married in the closing half of the 17th century. <laughs> somebody chose life, somebody chose death. Somebody chose blessing, somebody chose cursing. And what a difference it made, not only to them, but to all those around them. Now in closing, when I speak of choosing, I'm not talking here about sheer willpower alone. So whether we choose to praise or to serve or to love like Hosea and Gomer that we talked about this morning, what an example that was. But when we make the right choice, at that moment, God gives us the strength to carry that choice out. God gives us the grace and the strength to follow that through. Making the right choice can be scary. You can say, well, if I make this choice, what's going to happen? I don't know. But if you make it for God, for God's sake and he'll give you the strength and the grace not only just to carry that through but to see the results of it in the years to come. You know, whenever you look back to that moment you gave your life to Christ and you didn't know what was going to happen and maybe you did it with a little bit of trepidation. What will my friends think? What will my parents think? What will my workmates say? What will this happen? What will happen? But you made that choice. And you look back on it now and you can see the hand of God blessing, 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 blessing. And maybe you've seen some of your family come to Christ because you took the step first. Hmm? You made the choice. Rejoice by choice. Make your choice. Make it for Christ. Make it for his kingdom. Stick with it. And by God's grace, as you look back on life, You'll not have any regrets. You'll say, thank God I made that choice. I received Christ and I live for him. It's been the best life. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, if there's someone tonight who's at a crossroads, and they've got to choose, help them, Lord, to choose wisely to make the right choice. And Lord, if it's a choice between you and this world, 
I pray they'll take the choice for you. They'll come down on your side. They'll choose life instead of death, blessing instead of cursing. Thank you, Lord, for the grace and strength that you've given us. And we made that choice, Lord, how you've blessed and how you've helped. And every day, Lord, we have not one single regret. It's been good for us to know the Lord. So we give you thanks tonight. Lord, for those who will give their testimony tonight, we pray your blessing to be upon it. We pray that somebody watching it will be moved and touched and drawn to the Savior. Lord, that's the only reason we're doing it, that Christ may be glorified, that men and women may be encouraged to seek the things of God. So bless them for doing that, Lord. Give them the strength and the grace. And Lord, one day, maybe even in the glory, somebody will come to them and say, I listened to your words. And I went out and I sought the Lord. Lord, let that be the testimony. Bless us, Lord, as we go into this new week. Lord, we have put you first right at the beginning of this week because this is the first day of the week. And we have put you first today. And we know, Lord, that you will honor and you will favor us this week. So we give you thanks for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.